Go back to Acts chapter 12 and verse number 20 is where we'll start tonight. Lord willing, finish up in Acts 12. It won't be long and we'll be halfway done with Acts. Acts chapter 14 will be halfway done. If I told you how many sermons that we've already gone through in Acts, Josh knows, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. So uh, hopefully it's been a blessing to you. And I, I know that, I'll be honest with you, I've had, as we've gone through the book of Acts, I've had to dig. Like this is not, this is not uh, easy, easy studying, uh, especially to get out some practical things for, for us to study just because uh, anytime you're, you're, you're going through narratives in the Bible, oftentimes those things don't always readily jump out at you. And so, uh, so it's been good for me, though, because, uh, you know, because I've had to really, really look and pray and ask the Lord for, for help. And so I trust and hope that it's, it's a blessing to you, help you, help you and help me, all, all of us together to grow. So we're looking at Acts 12, verse number 20. Now we know that Herod is what this uh, verse is talking about in verse 20. The, the chapter begins with Herod. Herod stretching forth his wicked hands to, uh, to kill James and then further to kill Peter was his intention. So the chapter starts with Herod exercising his authority and really outside of the authority that he was given, that is, by God, he was abusing the authority he was given by God. Uh, and, uh, and we start in verse 20, and uh, of course the page turns, and, and the, the, uh, Herod gets a, gets a curveball. Verse 20, the Bible says, And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But, came, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied." And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. All right, let's pray. Well, Lord, once again, we, we've met together tonight with a desire to hear from your word, with a desire to fellowship with one another, Lord, to just try to obey you from the heart. And I pray that you would bless and help your people that have met tonight, bless those that are aren't able to be here because they're bearing illnesses and the bodies just will not cooperate that are listening in though. And I pray that you'd, you would bless them and teach them as well. And Lord, we just, we look to you uh, for not only for ourselves as individuals and for you to work in us and change us from glory to glory to be made like unto the Lord Jesus. Lord, you know that if you left us to ourselves, there is no way that we could grow. There's no way that we could be like Christ. There's no way that the sins that beset us and that uh, cause us so many problems would ever be rid of us. Uh, Lord, we would carry them forever. But Lord, we trust you that you are going to use your word to work in us. And I pray you do the same in, in our church as, as, a, as a unit, as a whole. Lord, make our church what you want it to be. Lord, use, our, use your word in us. Uh, to transform us into the, the people that you'd have us to be, that we would be a light, we would be 
salt. Uh, we would be uh, a good testimony and a good witness here in Greenville and in many other places as well. Lord, we just look to you. We trust you to do it because you are the only one that has power. So bless our time tonight, we ask, as we look at your word. Help us to focus. And I pray that your spirit would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, <clears throat> we have Herod mentioned in verse number 20. And this is the same Herod, of course, in the beginning of the chapter who killed James. And uh, there are actually at least four different Herods mentioned in the Bible. Because actually, uh, the Herods were, was a lineage, was a line of kings that or rulers, I should say, a family of rulers, and it started out with anybody know who the first Herod was? No. Who's the first Herod mentioned in the Bible? What did he do? I guess he's known for what he did rather than his name. Anybody want to? Yep. No, that was Caesar. Good. Exactly. The, the they call it the slaughter of the, the massacre of the innocents. You know, they call that. Uh, when, when Herod, that was Herod the Great. So the first Herod mentioned in Scripture is Herod the Great. Under his rule, he was the one that gave the command to kill all the babies under two in Bethlehem in a, in a vain effort to find Christ who had already left. Then, uh, then after him was Herod, and of course these are, these are children in some fashion or form. It's, it's not a, like a direct lineage in every case, but anyhow, you had Herod Archelaus, who is also called, or Herod Archelaus, who's mentioned in the Scripture, he was the one who ruled Judea in the place of Herod the Great. Herod the Great's the first one, Herod the First. He was the one that when Christ was born. And then after Herod the Great died, remember the Bible says that they were in Egypt, and they came back from Egypt, and they had heard, when they had heard it, Herod had died. But the Bible says that they did not go, go back into Judea, which is in the area of where Bethlehem is, because they had heard that Archelaus ruled in the room of his father, Herod the Great. Remember that? Well, so they went. That was the cause and, and the Lord warning them. Instead of going to Judea, they went to Galilee, which is where Nazareth is, near, near the Sea of Galilee. And so the reason they went there is because uh, the son of Herod, Archelaus, was, was the one who ruled. So in Herod the Great, had a kingdom, and his kingdom, by his will, was divided into four parts, okay? Archelaus ruled Judea, okay? And so because they didn't want to go there, because Herod already had tried to kill, kill Christ, they decided to go ahead and go to Galilee. And the Lord, Lord directed them to do that when they returned out of Egypt. After him was Herod Antipas, and Antipas was also called Herod the Tetrarch. He's mentioned by name, Herod the Tetrarch, in the Bible. He was the one that killed John the Baptist, and he was the one that, that, that Jesus, who examined Jesus. Remember, Jesus was sent from Pilate to Herod, and then back to Pilate. And Herod examined Jesus, but Jesus did not give him any answer. He was hoping to see a miracle. That was Antipas. And then after Antipas was the Herod that we're looking at tonight. That's Herod Agrippa the first. He was the one that killed James and sought to kill Peter. And then after him will be the final Herod, who is probably the most, one of the most well-known, Herod Agrippa II. And he was the one who said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So you have at least five Herods in the Bible, and there might even be others that are called Herod that uh, I didn't do an exhaustive study on this or anything, but 
This is Herod Agrippa I. And, uh, and so the Lord wants us to see a, a, a contrast. We see Herod doing this great thing. And this event, this uh, oration, this speech given in verse number 21 is actually mentioned by the historian Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, because he was basically contemporary with what, 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 this happened, what happened here. I could read it to you. I intended on bringing the book out so I could read it to you. I always, whenever I have a chance, I know, I know it's nerdy, but sometimes I like to read what's, what are called primary sources to everyone here so that you can hear with your own ears. And you're not just trusting what I say uh, about these things. But in this case, you'll just have to trust me. <laughs> so Josephus says in this case that he made this great speech but the reason why he was arrayed in a royal apparel and there was such a to-do over it is because his clothing was actually made of silver. And so when the light hit his clothing, it appeared that he was gleaming. That's what Josephus says. And Josephus actually gives the account of where the angel of the Lord smote him. In other words, <clears throat> at that moment, as he was uh, giving this speech, because he did not give God glory, and what the Lord is teaching here what the Lord is teaching here is he's comparing and co rather contrasting Herod's death with God's life. And so the, the feature, one of the characteristics of God that makes God God, his deity, is the fact that he cannot die. You say, well, Jesus died and he was God, right? That's immediately what everybody says. Yeah, but Jesus laid aside some of his divine attributes and took the form of a man so that he could die. We talked about that on Wednesday night, how that he was both God, 100% God, 100% man, so that he could suffer in our place as a man, right? He could suffer as a place as a man, but the judge could take the punishment that was, was, uh, had to be meted out. So, uh, so this is, uh, this is this oration. So God, at the moment that Herod is giving his speech, the angel of the Lord comes along and smites him. What does smite mean? Somebody tell me. Some of these English words that we don't use very much. What does this mean? To smite someone. It means to strike. Like if I was, if, uh, if I was, if I was going to, Sister Judy's probably listening. If I was going to uh, bug Sister Judy or Sister Karen, they might smite me with their cane or with their crutches. That's what Sister Judy tells me every time I, I pick at her. She says, I think she did that with you too, right? She always threat, she threatens everybody with that cane, I'm telling you. That's what it means. So the angel of the Lord came, came, along, came along and struck him. And not immediately, but shortly thereafter, whatever disease it was, took his life. It took his life. And so you see that. Herod comes to his end. And the next verse, look at what it says. It starts with what is called a transition word, a conjunction. But the word of God grew and multiplied. So Herod is dead, but the word of God lives still. Right? Remember, Herod is the one who tried to silence the preachers. Peter, James, and John. So Herod tried to silence the preachers, but now Herod is dead and the word of God is still being heard and seen. Not only is it being heard, but it's growing. It's increasing. Herod's life, Herod's influence, and Herod's power came to a sudden end. But the word of God continues to effectually work in power. You see that? 
Immediately, verse 23, the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost, but the word of God grew. You see that? That's what the Lord is trying to show us. The contrast between Herod's demise and the word of God continuing to work. There's a few things I want to look at from verse 24 about the word of God and this contrast. When you think of human Frailty. That's, what, that's what's going on with Herod. Whatever he got, whatever illness, maybe he had an aneurysm, maybe he had, I, I have no idea what it is. But whatever he had, what it reminds us of is that, it, well, first of all, it reminds, of, uh, reminds us of ourselves and our own frailty and our own limitations, both in our health, but also in our life. We will not be able to give, give God's word forever. We will not be able to be a light we will not be able to be salt. We will not be able to be a witness. We will not be, a, be able to be a testimony to our family, to our friends who aren't saved, or an example to our, our family and our friends of a believer and an example for people to follow. We will not be able to do that forever. Herod is the, is the perfect example of that. That, our, that influence, that power of ours will come to an end, but the Word of God still continues, still continues. It is not bound by our limitations. So let's look at a few things about the Word of God that I want want us to see from verse number 24. But the Word of God grew and multiplied. First thing I want you to see, I only have three, so we'll make this fast, all right? Number one, the Word of God is living. The Word of God is living. Hebrews chapter 4, if you want to turn there, you know these verses. We will look at several verses tonight, so if you would just... Uh, Be patient and bear with me. We'll look at some of these verses and uh, see what we can learn from them. Hebrews chapter 4. This is the go-to verse that tells us the Word of God is is alive. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. says this, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, why is the Word of God alive? There's one very simple reason. The Word of God is alive because its author is alive. The Word of God is powerful because its author is powerful. You know, you think of the works of, of, of literature that are well-known in history. The, the, you know, the works of Shakespeare, well-known. I, interestingly, you know, not too long ago, I think it was, I was with my wife. We were, we were just talking, and so I, I was looking up some of the uh, different parts of Shakespeare. And, you know, it was like, you know, I hadn't looked at Shakespeare at all since I was in high school. And I wasn't a believer then either. And so it was kind of hard for me to understand all the these and thous and all that. Well, after having read the Bible and studied it and, you know, all that, Shakespeare all of a sudden got really easy. <laughs> well, I was reading Shakespeare, I was like, wow, I totally understand why this is, this is uh, uh, so well-known and so highly regarded is because it really is that good. So when I was looking at Shakespeare, you know, I don't recommend everything in Shakespeare, but, um, but here's the difference. Shakespeare, Plato, Aristotle, whatever, Whatever philosophy, whatever, whatever, whatever word of man that there might be, it is not alive. You know why? Because its author has no power to affect anything it says. 
The reason why the word of God is alive is because God is living. When God said, so, when God said something in the scripture, though it was so long ago when it was actually codified in the scripture, God now, listen now, God at this moment has the power to make it happen. That's the difference. You know, you think of Nostradamus and all these, listen, they're not even comparable. God, because he is alive, he is the true and the living God. He's not dead like Herod. He is alive. And because he is alive, when he says something, he has, he has the ability, he has the power. Remember what it says here? The word of God is quick, alive, and powerful. That's because God is powerful. And what, what he says, he can actually, you know, when the Bible says, Numbers 32, 23, anybody quote it? Come on now. I know somebody has it. Be sure your sin will find you out, right? That's the, the tail end of the verse. God says, God says to Israel, be sure your sin will find you out. But you know what? God has the power in 2023 to make sure that a sinner's sin finds him out. You think God tinkers in our time like that and God inserts himself and involves himself in time to make sure that a sinner is exposed? Do you think God does that? Yes. Yes. And, you know, by doing that, you know what it shows us? The Word of God is powerful. And it's quick. It's alive. So when God says it, it's going, to, it's, go, it's going to come to pass, just like He says, because He's going to ensure that it does. He has power to enforce it because it's alive. It's alive. And it says, Piercing even to the dividing asunder of, the, of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever. When the word of God falls on the ears and sinks down and drips down into the heart of the believer or the unbeliever, because God is alive, he has the power and the ability to use that to prick and to pierce and to divide and to get right down to the very hearts of people. Now, now here's the thing, when we, especially when we're talking about somebody who's not, not a believer, they're never going to let on that God's God's pricking and dividing, you know. It's only in retrospect are they going to come back and say, well, yeah, I remember when you said that, and I was like, man, that really, it, you know, it's like, Grr. some people give testimony of that after they get saved, right? They, they talk about that, but they never say it at the, at the time. But, but that's God using his word. You know, they don't remember, they don't remember anything about Shakespeare, you know. They, don't, they can't quote the Aristotle or Plato or anything like that. But somehow the word of God that has been in their heart, God brings it back to their mind. God uses it to prick their heart. At the very moment when they're committing that sin, at the very moment when they're hiding it, at the very moment when they're doing something, God uses his word and reminds it. Why? Because he's alive. And he brings it back up. The word of God is quick. We saw in, the, in the, our verses in Acts, chapter 12, it says, But the word of God grew and multiplied. Growth and multiplication are characteristics of living things. You have a child, he grows. She grows. You know what? One day, she multiplies too. Growing things, or living things, grow and multiply. You know what they do? They grow and they multiply because they're alive without our help. And you'll see, we'll see more about that 
in just a minute. But notice growth. It says growth and multiplication. Growth. It increases in size. In the word, it would be like influence. It, it, that which that over which it has influence grows, but also multiplies. That means there's more of them, more places the Word of God goes, more people it touches, more hearts that are affected. That's what God's Word does. It increases and it multiplies. Look at Luke chapter 8, if you would. Luke 8, and if you want to go ahead and turn to Mark 4, that would be fine as well. That way you'll be there. Luke 8 and verse number 11. The Bible says this. This is speaking of a parable now, the parable of the, uh, the, parable of the, the sower. Verse 11 says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. That's interesting. So the Word of the Lord is compared to seed. Seed. And it talks about how those by the wayside and then those that fall, those seed, that, that seed that falls on the rock and that seed which falls among thorns. And then you get down to verse 15, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So the, the seed falls on ground. Listen, listen now. The seed falls on the good ground. And when it falls on good ground, you know what happens? You don't see it anymore. It sinks down. The rain comes. It sinks down into the soil just about an eighth of an inch or a quarter of an inch or however far it goes down, and you don't see it anymore. But it's not dead. It's alive. How do you know? Because it's going to grow. You see, that's one of the reasons I think that the Word of God is compared to seed. Seeds are the means by which living things multiply and grow. And once it's fallen on good ground, it will grow. You know what it'll do? It'll also multiply. And that's why, that's why the, the Word of God is compared to seed. You know what? Eventually, that seed will grow and bear fruit, and then it'll produce other seeds, right? And those other seeds will be carried by birds, by people, by, what, by the wind, whatever. They'll be carried to other places. And so the Word of God is multiplied in other places. And the, the whole concept of places is also something we'll see more in a minute. Look at Mark 4. Also mentions the Word of God being seed. Verse 26 says this. Mark 4, verse 26. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep, and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that, the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest has come. The word of God is again compared to seed. But the emphasis in this verse is that while the seed is in the ground, notice in verse 27, he should, the person who, who puts the seed in the ground, he says he should sleep. Now, if I'm not, I'm not a farmer. I've never been a farmer. I've not even ever had a successful garden. I did plant a few tomato plants that were more of a headache than they were worth, I'll just tell you right now, especially for somebody that doesn't really care for tomatoes or cucumbers. I like cucumbers. I can tell you this, that I'm not, I'm not a farmer, but I can tell you this. If you're sleeping, 
you're definitely not working the soil or doing anything with the seed. <laughs> right? So this man, notice he's, he's asleep. He's rising night and day. The idea is he's just going about his business. But you know what's happening while he's going about his business? The seed is growing. He's not touching it. So here's what, here's what it, the seed, the Word of God is growing even though he's unaware. It's growing even though he doesn't know how it's growing. <laughs> and it's growing even though he's not exerting any effort to enable it to grow. It's doing it on its own. Verse 28 indicates that. For the earth bringeth forth fruit. What's the next two words? Of herself. In other words, it's happening. Why? Because the seed is alive. Now, for the mark, by contrast, if you were to take, if you were to snap off a branch, okay, that's probably not a good example. If you were to take a rock out of your garden and you were to bury it in the ground, is it going to grow? If you water it and you fertilize it and you make sure it has the right amount of sun, is it going to grow? That's Aristotle, that's Plato, that's Shakespeare. Because there's no life in it. But the seed has life, and so it grows. Without us doing anything, that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God is alive, and even though we don't have any idea how it happens, we don't have any idea, we don't contribute to its growth, yet it grows by itself. That's one thing when I did plant flowers, one thing I noticed is, and just, just follow the parable now. Follow the parable and it'll help you understand the Bible. I planted flowers. I, I planted with seeds. I didn't buy grown flowers. I planted seeds in our flower bed and I just left them there. I marked where I planted them because once you plant them, you can't tell where you planted them. So I marked them and I forgot about it. I went to sleep, rose night and day, just like it says. And God watered the seed. The rain came down, right, from heaven. That's God watering. And they came up. How? Now, technically, scientifically, you know, I mean, the cotyledon and all, you know. <laughs> some of y'all know what I'm talking about, but some of my kids should know, right, Charity? Dicot, monocot, anyway, I'm losing you. It just grew up by itself. That's the way the Word of God is. It just, God uses it to do His work because it is alive. Second thing I want you to see is this. If you would look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Number two is this. The Word of God grows and multiplies in us. Us being, being God's children, His disciples. Look at chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, verse number 13. For this cause, thank we God without ceasing. There that, there that without ceasing is again. Because when we receive the word of God, when ye receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men. Stop. The word of men is like the stone that you put into the ground and plant. It's not growing. It's like Shakespeare you put into the ground. Shakespeare is not going to grow. But as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh. 
also when you believe. What effectually works? God's Word. God's Word. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is why we have to stay in the Bible. Because when the Bible gets into you, God will work in your life. How? I don't really know. Remember the the parable we just looked at? We don't know how all that works, the ins and outs. We know how God uses it in some cases, but you and I have to stay in the Bible. We have to stay reading it. We have to stay meditating on it. We have to, listen, we have to stay in church hearing it. We have to keep it before us. You know, you and I do well. Find yourself a good podcast. Find yourself a good sermon. Uh, go to a good, a good preacher on sermon audio and find yourself a good sermon, uh, a preacher that has good, good messages. I know Brother Ari does and, and others of you have follow. I, I have podcasts I listen to that are, you know, you say, what's a podcast? It's, it's a sermon. <laughs> it's a sermon. It's like listening to the radio, basically. Where that word is in our mind. Because here's what I'm telling you. When the Word of God is in us, it will work in us. It will change us. It is powerful. Not it, just it, but God, who is the author, is powerful to use it. Listen, I'll just be honest with you. What I hope to see in this church is God's Word effectually working. And I know when I say that, I know that what I'm trying to say is not being fully conveyed. We read God's Word, we study God's Word, we preach God's Word, but in the end, we trust God's Word to do the work. You know, sometimes my messages just flop. Brother Stewart can testify to that. Sometimes the messages just are no good. But it's not about that. It's about the Word of God. Sometimes you, you and I might come to church off. We're not tuned in. We're not, how many of you have been like that? You come and you're groggy and you're irritable and you're just whatever. Listen, every one of us, including the person you're looking at, every one of us has, has times like that. We come, we're off, we're off our game or whatever we want to call it. God's Word can still work in us. You want, to, you want to ask what the strategy for our church moving forward is? How we're going to make it grow? What the growth strategy is? I mean what I'm about to say. We trust God's Word to do the work. This is the strategy for Choice Hills Baptist Church. By God's grace, with His help, with you guys, with your help and the various aspects and, and ministries that you have, various roles that you have, we're going to give God's word plainly, clearly. We're going to pray. And then we're going to rest in the Lord that he will use his word to accomplish the mission. You see, we're just going to try and rely on him to do it. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 1. We're already here, so what I desire to see, I'll just, I'm just trying to be, be honest with you here tonight. 
What I, what I desire to see in our church is I desire to see the Word of God increase in each one of you. That it would have an ever-growing importance and influence in your life. That it would change you. That's not something I do. That's something God does with His Word. And that I also desire that the Word of God having increased in us, changing, listen, what I hope to see in each one of you and hope to see in myself is that the Word of God so powerfully affects our lives that the sins that are in our lives would be, would, we, would, we would turn away from them and we would hate them and we would repent of them. We would get, get all those things right as God reveals those things to us little by little. We would be more zealous and excited to give more of ourselves to the Master, to live for Him, to engage in the work of God, to, to have a desire to, that others might know the Lord. We might do more, go further, grow, increase, get better, be wiser, and the Lord might even call people out of our church to be pastors, to be evangelists, to be missionaries that every one of us would grow and the Word of God would be obviously affecting each one of us. The way we interact with our family, our desire to get to, to make sure that our, our friends and loved ones and neighbors know the gospel and have heard the gospel, that we would be more actively involved in evangelism. We would live a life that is more upright, more honest. I just, listen, that's my desire, that the Word of God would do that in every one of us. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 says this, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not, need not to speak anything. Notice that. Paul's not talking. You see that? The word of God so worked in, this, in, in God's people that Paul doesn't even need to say anything. It, the Word is doing the work in the lives of His people. The pre, in other words, it's not all falling on the preacher. The Word has so worked in the, in, in the people that the preacher don't have to say anything. It's already, it's already done. You see that? Notice what it says. In every place your faith to God would spread abroad. You see that spread abroad? You know what that reminds me of? Multiply. See, it's spreading abroad. You know, if, if each one of us as individuals grows, matures, obeys, and loves the Lord, you know what will happen? Is that each one of us will be a place from which God's Word goes to others. In your family, in your workplace, in your school, it'll be a place where the Word... You know, sometimes, you know... Sin hinders the word and hinders what should be there in our lives. And the Lord takes time to rid us of that, those things. But once, once we're rid and we grow up, the word changes us and molds us to be more like the Lord. And all of a sudden we find that the word of God is shooting forth in other places. Every one of you can be one little station from which the word of God is broadcast. One little place where that seed has grown and is now bearing fruit. Last thing I want you to see is this. 
The word of God grows and multiplies often without human intervention or sometimes even despite human inability. Now remember in in Acts chapter 12, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy just so you'll be there for time. In Acts chapter 12, James is dead. James is dead. James the preacher the one that the Lord took with Peter and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration. James is dead. The preacher is dead. One of the most significant apostles is dead. One of the disciples that was closest to the Lord Jesus is dead. But now his, and now his voice is silenced. The word that he spoke is silent, right? His witness of Christ's resurrection, he was was a witness, right? Has ended. But the word of God still grows. You see that? That's what we read here. James has just died, and now Herod's intending to kill Peter. And here Herod gives a speech, and now Herod's dead. But even though James has died, the word of God is still going. The word of God did not depend on James. (laughs) It keeps going. 2 Timothy chapter 2 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 9. Look at, what it, look at this. This is profound. This is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, I would say. Listen to this. Uh, verse 8, for the context. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble. That is in the gospel. As an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Paul's in prison at Rome. He is bound and his voice is muted because he's in prison. You see this? This is what's happening. The preacher, what does the preacher preach, right? In this case, Paul, what does he preach? The word of God. But yet his voice is silent. He's in prison. He has no opportunity to speak up. But yet he speaks with confidence and he says, I'm bound, but the word of God is not. I have, I have bonds and handcuffs, but the word of God is not shackled. So what is he saying? Think of how discouraged he must be. And I want to tell you, if, if, you're, a, if you're a preacher, if you're someone who God is, has called to preach the word and you don't do that, you think of Miss Myers and Brent, right? Driving him crazy. When, 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 you're, when, when your life's purpose that God has given you is to preach the word of God and you can't, that's discouraging. That's very discouraging. That's where Paul is. But somehow Paul's not discouraged because he knows and has confidence and he takes comfort in knowing that the word that he has preached and the word that he has given is still working even though he's silent. His being bound hasn't stopped God's Word. You know, you see this a number of times in, uh, in, in the Bible. Look at Acts 13. We're in chapter 12, so look at chapter 13 real quick. And while you're there, go ahead and go to Philippians chapter 4. Acts 13, verse number 1. Look at this. This is kind of a random thing, but look, I, what I want you to see. You ever seen some of those, uh, uh, some some 
in, in some structure, maybe it has a really high place, way, way up in the sky, uh, some human, you know, man-made structure, and all of a sudden you see a plant growing out of some crack. You know, it's just like some random thing. How did, how did it, the seed get, even get there so this plant grows out of a crack in the, up, up way up high in the sky? Look at where the Word of God has got gone here. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Here the Lord had saved someone that knew King Herod. That's not it. Look at Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, says this. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Saints. They're in Rome. They're part of the emperor's family. And there's nothing he can do about it. How did they get there? You know how they got there? The Word of God, the seed of the Word is just floating around. You never know where it's going to take root. You see that? That's the power of the Word. Those people in those, those high places, you know, our president, vice president, all those important people, the people of authority, you know, they think that they're whatever, they're, they're, they're above all that or whatnot. The Word of God can get them just like anybody else. And occasionally it does. Look at chapter 1, if you would since we're already in Philippians. Verse 12. But I would, I would that ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Remember, Philippians is a prison epistle written from Rome. Paul's in prison. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the what? What's that say? He's in prison. Since when does a prisoner, his story, go to the palace? And yet it's there. Look at this. And in all other places. <laughs> and many of, of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here's what's happened. This is a case study of how this works. The word of God that Paul has preached he can't preach it anymore. He's in jail. But even his prison stint is causing the word of God to increase. He's not, his word, it's not going out of his mouth, but people knowing he's in prison and, and being emboldened by that fact. Look at Paul. Paul's in prison. Look at him. He was willing. To, and, and so they're bold to give out. So the word of God is increasing from people that he didn't even think, you know. And he's sitting in jail. You see what I'm saying? The word of God grows and multiplies often without human intervention. Paul can't intervene. He can't preach. And yet it's growing. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to this fellow that's been visiting with us sometimes, uh, Raul. He was, tell, he was telling me about when he had gotten saved and what led to him getting saved. It's just, a, it's just an interesting story I thought fit this. He said that he was at work. And he heard, he was kind of at a distance from these two guys that were talking. 
And one of them, I guess, I think had a Bible in his hand and he was trying to show the other guy what the Bible said and he was trying to explain to the guy how wrong he was about this and he were, this, is, this is what the Bible says. And he would, what he said is this guy was really, wasn't doing it right. <laughs> and this other guy was listening and they, they were going back and forth and this one guy that holding the Bible, he was telling him about all the things what he was doing wrong or whatnot. I, I, he didn't give me all the details, but he says, and so he was, reading the, he was reading the Bible and talking about it and this other guy was like, whatever. And so they, they, went, they went their separate ways, kind of angry at each other. And you think, man, that's a wrong, the Lord can't use that, whatever. That man's reading the Bible, and here's what Raul said. He said, that man was talking, he was talking about these things, but what he was saying was for me. And he's on the other side of the room. And that is what led Raul to come to Christ. The Word of God is not bound. That's what the authorities don't understand. They forever want to silence the preacher, but they can't silence God's Word. The fact that the Word of God is, is, grows and multiplies of its own accord by the power of God this is what we trust when we have just a brief opportunity to influence somebody for Christ. And sometimes we only have a short time to give them the Word. Not our feelings, not our thoughts, the Word. And, and sometimes that opportunity is taken away from us and we can't do anything about it, but yet the Word that we've given to them continues to work. So that tells us we must take advantage of the opportunities that we have. I must take advantage of the opportunities I have. That's the first thing I want you to see as far as the way we can respond to this. We must take advantage of the opportunities to give the word to people when they present themselves because those opportunities won't last forever. Number two, we must... We must actually give them the very Word of God and not a bunch of Christian psychology and gobbledygook and all that other stuff. We need to make sure we know the Bible and we can give somebody what God actually says. We can, we can, be, we can be skilled enough so that we have a verse, we have a truth from God's Word that we give them that fits what they need. And we know that once, well, let's just, let's just say this. We give them the Word of God when, as we have opportunity, while we have opportunity. We give them the very Word of God and not some cheap imitation. We must water the Word of God with prayer. Because once I, Lord, let your word work. That's what Paul actually asked people to do. Pray that the word of the Lord would have free course and be glorified. We must take comfort and rest in the fact of God's power to use his word despite our inability, despite our frailty. Think of this, this, this guy with Raul Saul. And despite of la our lack of opportunity. Sometimes we don't have any more opportunity to influence this person to help them, to witness to them. 
but we trust God to do His work and we, we talk to God about it and say, Lord, please use your word. And then, we w- then last, we must remember that God will often use His word from us in ways that we did not intend according to His wisdom and according to His will. So we were aiming here, but He was aiming there. And that's okay. You know what? When we find the Word of God in more places than we have gone, influencing and working in greater ways than we planned or thought possible, when we know that it wasn't anything, we, it wasn't the person we were talking to and all of a sudden the Lord's doing something in somebody's life or heart, when we see that, you know what that does? It grew by itself because God cared for the Word. God alone gets the glory. It's not us. We can't look at ourselves and say, well, I knew what to say. I was, whatever. We can't do that. God says, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of the seed. Let's pray.